it is fundamentally impossible to thread the needle to say, by removing client access, we are serving their best interest. What's up, you awesome people? Welcome back to the show. In this episode, our Chief Revenue Officer, Jeff Cook, is interviewing Ryan Redding. Ryan is the CEO of DP Marketing. They specialize in serving plumbing and HVAC companies and are one of the most renowned names in their industry. You're going to learn three things in this episode. What KPIs Ryan cares about when it comes to client success. Why he's pledging to put clients first and his Google Partner Certification second and what his research shows about why local businesses succeed or fail. There's a bunch more nuggets of wisdom on the way. Enjoy the episode and dive right in. This is Jeff Cook uh, over at Zyra Talk. I'm excited to be joined by Ryan Redding, who is the HVAC and plumbing guru uh, for DP Marketing here. Ryan, how are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me in. Good. So uh, excited to talk to you, pick your brain on a variety of different topics, including, you know, DP marketing uh, trends and in the industries that we both are passionate about and then also just business philosophies. But I guess first, just tell us a little about you and your story and, and when you got started, why you got started, why HVAC plumbing, all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, I, I have an interesting background because I, uh, I, I studied marketing as an undergrad um, and actually had a double major of marketing and music. And it was really <laughs> weird because in the music school, I was the only one who was like showing up on time. You know, my work was turned in. Uh, everyone else was very, very type B and I tended to be type A. And I kind of just stood out. On the business school, I was kind of the opposite. I was the one going, hey guys, not everything has to fit in a spreadsheet. Um, and so I was just kind of like this awkward misfit. And it wasn't until uh, I graduated school, I got some work at an ad agency in St. Louis, where I was working on some very, very large accounts covering North America, where I realized that I kind of had a unique skill set of um, being able to bridge the creative and the analytical to help solve problems. And so uh, it started there. Um, and then it, as it relates to like the current iteration of DP marketing dot services, the, we actually started doing a seeing a niche for helping main street, small businesses with getting a, a, a good looking website. And so that's kind of where we started. So we had all sorts of just main street, small businesses. If you think of a main street USA, we have bakers and chiropractors and plumbers and locksmiths and pick a, pick a profession. And in the process of that, uh, we realized it was time consuming and exhausting to do like market research to figure out the customer acquisition cycle of all these different segments. Because somebody, somebody selects a plumber for very different reasons and with a very diff different methodology than they search for a baker. Um, in this little window of time, we picked up a guy who was a plumber and he was no different than anyone else. Um, he was just one of the main street small businesses. Within about five months, he went from just being a guy working out of his garage, could barely keep himself busy, to he was on the first page of Google. His phone was blowing up where he couldn't actually field all the calls that were coming in. 
he went from like a one-man shop to now I think he's about 12 or 14 guys. I'm not sure what he is right this moment in just a couple of years. And he was the one, like he just had such tremendous success. He was the first one to say, you know, you should do people just like me because we need to phone the ring. We need guys like you who know what they're doing. And he said, and we found it to be true. He goes, there's a lot of guys out there who say they can do what you do. You're the only one who I've ever found that actually does what you say you can do. That's kind of what started the pivot for us to, to be very narrow into plumbing and HVAC as a vertical. Interesting. So, so what advice would you, would you give yourself as you were building your business? Maybe a mistake you made or something you wish you knew? You know, late teens, early 20s. I was really arrogant. I was really cocky. Looking back, I realized that there's beauty in efficiency. There's beauty in processes that you don't need to make the work harder than it needs to be. Sometimes even really great, sharp, talented people can overcomplicate things. So if I were, if I were to talk to myself from you know, 15, 20 years ago, I'd probably tell myself to not be such a smart ass. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, so let's talk about, you know, you had mentioned data and analytics and, you know, obviously HVAC and plumbing sometimes can be an underserved category in that aspect. Maybe tell me something that you wish, you know, all your clients were doing from a strategy or services perspective that maybe they just don't know about yet or just the industry in general doesn't know about it. Maybe it is using data and analytics to your advantage, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I, I have, a, again, a kind of an interesting perspective. So as a digital marketer, data and analytics are, are critical, right? They're permission to play. But what I feel like a lot of companies do, not just in the home services vertical, but uh, lawyers and insurance salesmen and chiropractors, they know their trade exceptionally well. Right? They know their field of law exceptionally well. They know their practice of medicine exceptionally well. They really struggle with business acumen. Something that I wish more companies of all industries would do is develop their own internal leadership skills to understand things about how to build great structures, of how to lead and inspire others, of how to manage financials and understand KPIs. Those are things to me that make marketing effective, right? Because it doesn't matter how many times the phone rings. It doesn't matter how many times somebody sends somebody an email. If the company doesn't understand how to engage with the customer, how to maximize the lifetime value of that customer, how to provide an exceptional customer experience, all of those phone calls are for nothing. So for, for me, I really wish I would see more business owners take a very intentional look at their own business development strategies internally for themselves, for their team, for their leadership team, and not just hire an outsourced marketing agency or whatever to fill in gaps that they don't have time to fill, but to augment the strategies that they're trying to deploy locally. And it's really that, that symbiotic partnership where their internal strategies and our tactical efficiencies, that's where we find really, really good gains. Nice. So let's, let's focus in on that, right? Because I, I agree with you. So, so two-part question. The first is, you know, if you're a, a tradesman who've started a business and maybe lack some of that business acumen, what would you direct them as, you know, the first one or two KPIs that they really need to focus on or be aware of? 
And then the second part is tell me about a KPI that DP marketing, you know, either you're most proud of or you really focus on from a success uh, as an agency perspective. In, in marketing, especially digital marketing, there's a lot of terms that get thrown around and depending who you're talking to, if you're talking from someone from Google or from Yelp or a traditional ad agency, sometimes those terminologies take on different meanings. For us, impressions and click-through rate and all these things are, are pieces of the puzzle, but at the end of the day, our clients don't care. They don't care their page rank. They don't care their page quality. They don't care technical aspects on SEO. They don't care. All they care about is how many phone calls did they get or how many emails are submitted, however they generate the most of their business. So for us, the primary mechanism with which we determine efficiency is what's called the cost of acquisition. And so this is, this is a pretty standard KPI model where you take the total amount spent on marketing efforts over a period. If this number has never been devised, we, we kind of recommend starting with a calendar year. So how much was spent on the previous calendar year in marketing on everything, website, SEO, PPC, social media, whatever. And then the, divide that number by the number of new customers that were acquired over that same period. Um, so not repeat customers, they don't count but new customers acquired, and that gets you a number called the cost of acquisition for that given period. And then once you have that number in mind, we, we're fans of doing a rolling budget year. So you do that for 12, 12 months in the past, and then next month you do it again for the previous 12 months, and you're kind of chronically updating a 12-month aggregate. And then from within that, you can then break, the, break down that same KPI into uh, a channel specific, right? Because that, that cost of acquisition fundamentally measures total marketing efficiency, but it doesn't go into per channel metrics. So then you can break it down into how, many, how much did you spend on billboards and how many customers can you attribute to the billboard campaign? How, many, how much you spend on pay-per-click with AdWords? How many customers can you attribute to the AdWords campaigns? And then you can get a per channel breakdown using the same math. But for us, our kind of at the end of the day metric is uh, what was our cost of acquisition during a given period? Uh, and obviously our, our job is to get as many leads as possible for the lowest possible cost. Now there's some variance between markets. Uh, it's going to be, if you're in the you know, central Illinois, it's gonna be a whole lot cheaper to generate a customer than it would be if you're in the middle of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, but our goal is to, as efficiently as possible, to produce the most number of leads as you can. From, so that's from our standpoint. And that's, those are numbers that are easy for us to track. From the business standpoint, now you have other elements you have to consider, right? So we wanna do, uh, we use tools to make sure that they're generating reviews. So we expect, uh, we expect every technician on every company we work with to have at least two reviews per week, minimum. And we expect them to be five-star reviews. If they're not generating five-star reviews, there's a problem. We should be able to see at least a 40% conversion rate on people who were requested a review and people who completed a review. That's something we hold the company accountable with also. Other things that are important for companies is like profit per van, revenue per van, uh, percentage of callbacks. Like in our industry, there's a few KPIs that are easy for them to hang their hat on. And uh, we, we wanna make sure that we remind them and hold those accountable. For us, we can't really track it. We don't have the tools. We're not tied in with their field management or dispatch software. 
So uh, we just do what we can with the data we have access to. Nice. So let's let's focus to you know kind of things that you're seeing and that you're paying attention to. So so walk me through some of the trends that you think are impacting the industry the most right now. Uh, I know you're recording. So when you say right now, are you, are we referring to COVID or is this excluding COVID? It, it, whatever you think impacts the industry right now. So if that's one of them, let's let's talk about it. Got it. So uh, let's do um, let's let's take the immediacy out. Prior to a couple weeks ago, um, one of the big shifts that we've seen in the industry has been a lot of fluctuations. So Google, as we all know, has the lion's share of the search market. Um, and they're increasingly controlling their influence over the marketplace. Uh, so much so where many states' attorneys general are filing suit against Google for their perceived monopoly on the influence and operations of businesses. It is a legitimate concern. And so something like Google saying, hey, we're going to update our Google My Business policies where uh, you have to be able to have 17 points of verification to show that you changed your address is really problematic. So for instance, we have a client who we work with in a large metro area. They moved their office from one suburb to within closer within the city metro. And it has taken three months for Google My Business to verify the address, even though we've provided lease agreements, we've provided videos of inside and out of the building, we've provided drive-by evidence, we provided this battery of data to show Google this 100-year-old this business legitimately moved its brick and mortar. And two, even three months later, Google still has not responded with that verification. Consequently, as you'd imagine, that impacts business because the maps placement alone counts for about 30% of most web traffic. So having unverified Google My Business placement for three months is a huge dent on any company. So you have Google's presence in the marketplace, which is, which is becoming increasingly, increasingly problematic. And that's true not with just regular SEO algorithm updates and not just with uh, social media, I'm sorry, not just with Google My Business, but also with AdWords. They've increasingly changed their things to be uh, less beneficial to the client in many cases. In the current reality, we are a couple weeks into COVID-19, right? So at this point in time, uh, COVID-19 is a huge headache. Uh, Google, strangely, is even though they've gone onto virtual office hours, they're still creating complications because at this point in time, they're not letting Google reviews post through. You can't respond to Google reviews even if they're negative. You can't verify a business if something needs to change like a phone number, an address. Anything that's in Google's ecosystem is kind of frozen at this point in time, which coupled with how volatile the marketplace is, is uh, very problematic. Uh, but yeah, outside of, outside of global pandemic, I, I would say um, the in ex um, increasing reach and influence that Google has on the marketplace is um, is something that should be a concern for any business owner. Yeah, so so touch a little bit on that, and I think you've you've you obviously scratched the surface. But I recently saw a LinkedIn post from you that said, "Hey, I'm customer success pledge versus you know, as an agency, you know, prioritizing the customer success versus getting a Google Ad cert certification 
for the agency, which is how they want you to operate business with your point, maybe isn't in the best interest of the client. Anything else that you can detail out there? Yeah, so there, there's been a lot of, of debate within the PPC community about uh, Google's response to this because they're, they're officially in June of 2020 moving to a model where they will remove your partner status from Google Ads if you don't meet certain criteria. Some of those criteria are, are fine, right? There is a certain percentage of people that you need to have uh, go through the certification training, great. Uh, but for instance, one of the criteria is of the users on an AdWords account, at the moment, 50% of them need to be AdWords certified through Google. At first glance, you go, that seems fine, that seems fair. Half of a team should be able to be that. The problem is that they are counting client, like so the business owners, their email addresses count toward that 50%, which means in order to maintain a partner status, the only way to maintain client relationships and maintain client access to their data and maintain your Google partner status is to revoke client access so they don't contribute to your 50% quota. So now Google is essentially incentivizing agencies to say, if you want to maintain your preferred partner status, you need to make it where fewer people have access to your accounts, even if that means that they're clients. And for us as an agency, transparency and accountability are core values. It is fundamentally impossible to thread the needle to say, by removing client access, we are serving their best interest. Another instance is Google's moving more and more to machine learning driven suggestions. Uh, with, the new, with the new standards, they're saying that you need to approve, by default, their machine learning suggestions for PPC campaigns even if those suggestions will result in decreased performance or decreased efficiency. And we do A-B testing to know this particular recommendation provided by Google will help Google a whole lot more than it will help our client. Google's now prioritizing to say, if you're not recommending those and approving those, you're gonna lose your partner status. And for us, fundamentally, our client's interest goes before Google shareholders. So yeah, we have taken a stand, and actually if you go to our website and the footer, we have a badge where we've signed up with other agencies across the US saying, yeah, we're gonna lose our, our partner badge and we're okay with it because we're putting our client standards ahead of Google's. Gotcha, very good, good stuff. So, so I'm gonna ask you to put on your Nostradamus hat a little bit and make some predictions. So when you look at the next two to five years, let's say, you know. What do you think are gonna be some emerging technologies, industry trends, things that you're kind of paying close attention to that you think others should be paying close attention to? Yeah, so I think we are, um, no matter what happens with COVID, I think we are at the uh, very early, early, early onset of the AI revolution to the point where we will look back with fondness in five or 10 years to think how quaint the technology is we already know that AI has uh, significant integration with our daily lives beyond, beyond which most people are aware from uh, grocery store chains using AI and predictive analytics to make sure that there's someone ready to check out their groceries just as somebody's ready to check out to even predicting traffic patterns to make sure that they're maximizing the traffic moving through with less congestion. We are 
we are seeing more and more capabilities where AI is moving beyond just um, really rudimentary kind of uh, machine learning and moving more and more into its, its own tool beyond what we can fathom. So in the next five to six years, I think we're gonna see that increasingly take control. Um, one of the companies right now who I think is spearheading this to a large degree better than anyone else is Amazon. And candidly, Amazon's reach in the marketplace uh, has, I think they have both uh, cause for more potential for them. Like they should excite a lot of people on what's to come. They should also cause a lot of people a lot of concern because of the way that their business is structured and the way that they're deploying technology. They are getting better at other companies' uh, competitive strengths faster than other companies are adapting to Amazon's competitive strengths. And that's true if it's Walmart or Target, uh, or in this case, grocery store chains, um, the influence that Amazon will have using their machine learning and AI deployment will drastically shake up several industries moving forward. Um, and honestly, we're just seeing this at the very, very beginning of that with uh, their recently deployed delivery service, right? Where they're starting to cut out UPS and USPS from the delivery mechanism in their supply chain. Uh, we're going to continue to see Amazon continue to find ways to um, entrench themselves and their technological prowess into their various aspects, both up and down the supply chain. And we're going to see a lot of industries shake up as a result. Sure. So we only have time for one question, maybe two questions. So, you know, I kind of want, you know, your opinion on, you know, back to the client use case study in terms of what are the most common reasons why clients within your industry either succeed or fail, right? I've heard everything from, you know, uh, lack of process for lead follow-up, lack of communication processes in place to, you know, not having the business acumen or somebody hired within the, the company that has that acumen. What, what, what is, what's your opinion of the, maybe the two most common reasons clients will either succeed or fail? Yeah, so we actually have done research on this. So I have, I have more than an opinion, I've got data. We, a couple of years ago, did research. We took the data from the United States uh, uh, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, and we analyzed uh, all the industries, the failure rates uh, of those. Plumbing and HVAC companies have the highest failure rate in the United States after a five-year window, uh, which means that on average, 20% of those companies go out of business every five years. So with almost half a million plumbers, almost half a million HVAC contractors, 20% of those are getting refreshed as a company every five years. Of those, uh, there are five reasons that they fail, as, as the research would suggest. So number one was not paying their taxes, tax evasion, underreporting income, overreporting expenses. Those are things that caused uh, a significant portion of those companies to fail. The IRS is keenly aware that as an industry segment, those companies tend to uh, misrepresent their taxes often, and consequently, they give them a lot of scrutiny, but that's a big point of failure. The second was financial management. They didn't know how to plan, they didn't have a budget, they didn't know how to measure KPIs, they don't understand like cash flow, they don't understand income statements and balance sheets. Uh, they just lack the kind of really rudimentary level business details uh, of understanding financials to make managerial level decisions. Uh, a tangent of that is the third was they didn't understand how to price their services. Within the home service vertical, there's two common methodologies. One is uh, time and materials. 
how much money do I have in parts? How long will it take me to do it? Plus a little bit of profit. The newer methodology that's become more and more in vogue over the past decade has been a flat rate model where you take the cost volume that a company is expected to perform over a given fiscal year and you average the company's overhead and profitability over each call that you're going to run. So even if a job costs you 30 or 30 minutes of time, you're not pricing based on time, you're price, pricing based on your annualized volume. Uh, we find that companies who use a flat rate model uh, tend to su succeed. Uh, inefficient advertising is another. A lot of these guys, again, get into their particular trade because they're not good at marketing. They're good at their trade. They're good at plumbing. They're good at repiping a bathroom. They're good at running a mini split. But they don't understand marketing mixes. They don't understand marketing efficiencies. Uh, so we see a lot of wasted dollars there. Um, and then lastly, these guys don't plan their business. Uh, they kind of think they just go out there, they can do their job. And what we've learned is there's a big difference between someone who can bake a cake and somebody who can run a bakery. So the, the fifth most common thing of failure is just lack of business planning. They don't know how to hire, they don't know how to fire, they don't know how to solve problems as a company grows, or they don't know how to diversify the business as they grow or manage risks. It's, um, it's a real problem. Uh, so I think from a data standpoint, that's what we've seen uh, for the top five reasons. I know you asked for two, but that's the five we've identified. No, it's really good stuff. Uh, Ryan, well, well, we wish you best of luck. Obviously, you're uh, doing something right. Um, we obviously know that firsthand. And uh, uh, thank you for your time. We know you're a busy guy. And uh, um, best of luck of continued success. Dude, it's my pleasure. Thanks, sir. And that's a wrap for the episode. I hope your ears enjoyed listening to it as much as I did. I hope you took some nuggets. If you have any advice or feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at philip at Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.